BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ride along with Laura Reynolds as she talks to the auto designers, creators, and makers about the automobiles we love as we go driving in heels. It's driving in heels. I'm Laura Reynolds, your host. And on this week's podcast, I talk directly to Ford Motor Company as they celebrate the 57th birthday of the Mustang. We'll dive into the history of the car and how it all came about. Then I'll talk to AAA about their latest survey and how alcohol and cannabis make for risky driving behavior. So let's get started with Ford Mustang marketing manager, Jim Owens, as he talks about the birth of the Mustang. We just got back from Texas. Oh, no kidding. What were you Yeah, we did a um, Shelby GT500 track tour event at Texas Motor Speedway in in Fort Worth. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, we had 30 GT500s up there and had customers and dealers and competitive make customers actually driving them. Uh Uh, Texas opened up the Roval for us, cut a hole in the wall. (gasps) We could do the outer banks on the NASCAR and then do the inside oval as well. Nice. So yeah, it was, it, that car is so impressive. Um, we turned some heads on the competitive make, including a BMW club and a Corvette club Ooh. and one Lambo owner and one McLaren owner who was there. Whoa. Yeah, so it was nice. You, you put them in their place, huh? Uh, no, like I told him, <laughs> you know, I set up and do the presentation and I'm like, look, I'm not trying to change your allegiance. What I want to do is begin to change your hearts and minds one lap at a time. And, and that car demonstrated that. So it was pretty cool. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, I feel like I should sing happy birthday to the Mustang. (laughs) 57 years, Laura. It's, um, it's amazing. It's doing a lot better than I am. And I'm 56 going to be 57 this year. And, you know, I am in need of a desperate need of a frame off restoration, full rotisserie. Uh, But the Mustang is aging substantially well and continuing to grow to new audiences in the future. So let's see. Let's start. Well, let's start with VIN 1. You know, tell us about VIN 1. So the VIN 1 Mach 1, we were so excited about it. Um, We auctioned it off at JD or for JDRF. Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation at Barrett Jackson in Scottsdale a few weeks ago, and the winning bidder it was it went for five hundred thousand dollars plus Barrett donated their transaction fee and commissions, um, and it was a new bidder to Ford, and it was so cool. Um, it was a husband and wife couple, and uh, their granddaughter, who is fourteen, was recently diagnosed with type one. So she had just had the pump put in 
Um, and then the electronic piece that goes with it that, you know, part of JDRF and the, the searching for the cure came up with some of the technology associated with it. And they were so impressed that Ford at the time had raised over $7 million selling cars for JDRF, um, but that we don't already donated as a company $70 million. And they said uh, in the interview that they were willing to go up to $600,000 for this Mach 1 um, because they wanted to donate the money to JDRF. And we couldn't have been prouder. It's one of those things where, you know, Ford Motor Company is doing right by doing good. Um, you know, it, Edsel Ford leads the charge and he is actually not himself, but his family is affected, affected by this. Um, and he's led the charge and he's been, you know, one of the key leaders of Ford performance over the years. And we were really excited about it. It was a, it was a great moment. That is amazing. So can, can you give us a little bit of history about how the Mustang first developed? It was so much fun. And, and I told this story, you know, we were talking about being in Fort Worth at, with the GT500s. Um, you know, Ford Motor Company was founded on performance, Laura. Henry in 1901 um, had already run a business into the ground, had moved back in with his family. He started working for a gentleman by the name of Thomas Edison that Thomas Edison. Wow. Right? Yeah. Can you imagine the patents that, you know, that are between those two people? Anyways, they, he still wanted to put America on wheels. And so what he did was built a race car called Sweepstakes. That race car challenged Alexander Winton, Henry Drove. Spider Huff was his crew chief. And crew chiefs back in the day literally hung on the side of the cars. They were going around adjusting. Anyways, they won that race. They sold the car. They sold the trophy. We're still looking for the trophy even today. Oh. It was a, a Tiffany vase, um, and we're still looking for it. Um, and then he took the purse, sold the car, grabbed some investors out of the stand, and 18 months later started Ford Motor Company. So we celebrated 100 years in performance before we celebrated 100 years of Ford Motor Company. So our foundation in that performance arena started all the way back with Henry and Henry retired one and oh as a race car driver. <laughs> very, very few people retire with that winning percentage. Um, fast forward to the 60s, you know, Lee Iacocca and the uh, Ford Fairlane Committee, you know, we're looking for a way to reach the baby boomers post-World War II generation that that wanted something different than their parents' vehicles. And, you know, there wasn't Camaro at the time, there wasn't Challenger, there wasn't Charger, Toyota Supra wasn't even a dream in somebody's head at the time. So they started a complete segment of vehicles with that. April 17th, 1964, World's Fair, unveiled that car. You know, we expected to sell a couple hundred thousand units of it sold more than a million in the first 16 months. And a legend was born. You know, stars of thousands of movies, more than 10 million <laughs> produced since the beginning. Um, you know, Camaro Challenger came on quickly. Javelin, if you remember it back in the day, the old AMX Javelins, they came on. But, you know, Lee and the Fairlane Committee really started a clean sheet of paper new segment in the industry and we continue to make a mark globally today. That is just amazing how that all came about and you know it's Mustang just has that 
it has that name. It has that mystique. It has that prestige, you know, of, of being just a car that you want parked in your driveway because it says something about you. Well, and yes, and it, it, but I, I'd reverse it almost, Laura. I'd say that the car allows you to be who you want to be, right? It's, you know, for me and for a lot of people, it's the vacation you take every day, you know, pre-COVID, driving home from work, dropping it into third gear under the overpass with the exhaust wide open. That was the vacation from my stress and work, right? Um, you know, the folks with the convertible top down or driving along route one. We think the owner says more about the car than the reverse. And that is carried forward. I mean, it's what's helped us be the best-selling sports car in the world for six years, sports coupe in the world for six years running, and best-selling sports car in the United States. You know, from, from 64 Hill now, nobody sold as many as we have. And the longest running continuous nameplate in the car segment. Thank you for Corvette for, for getting 1983. Oh. They skipped <laughs> I missed one, so we get to be the continuous longest running. But um, yeah, that car, the the car itself is your chance for performance close at hand. It's your chance to express yourself. And we think that resonates, you know, whether you're three years old and grabbing your first Hot Wheels or 103 and grabbing your first convertible. So out of all the Mustangs, because I mean, Mustang clubs are huge and I think they're, they're purists. Is there like a, a Mustang, like um, in, in recent memory, like when the Mach-E came out, there seemed to be a lot of, you know, I don't know about that. It's, I don't know if a Mustang is going to be, you know, like that. Can you remember any like um, vehicles that caused that much controversy? Um, I, and again, it's it's not so much controversy, right? Um, and as you can imagine, I spend a lot of time even going out to events in COVID, right? We're first we're safe and social distancing and you do all the stuff that's necessary, but gathering cars outside, you know, with your masks on or driving them in parades. Um, I've gotten a chance to speak to a lot of Mustang customers about it. As I explained to you what Lee did in 64 with the Fairlane Committee, changing the impression on how Americans looked at driving a car. I would suggest that same parallel exists with the Mach-E. It, you know, it could have been a compliance car, right? It could have looked like the aerodynamic Tesla drive-through, low coefficient of drag, but the leadership of Ford Motor Company, who are huge Mustang fans themselves, right? You know, Farley still races a 65, you know, and, and, and Mr. Ford owns quite, all the Ford family own quite a bit of Mustangs. So they're, they're part of that belief. They're, they're part of the club, if you will. Um, the Mach-E, if you look at it, has that sloping nose hood, has a front grill where you have no need for a front grill for an electric car, right? But that leads you to believe um, and leads you to see how it is a Mustang. Because you line up the Mach-1 next to the, to the Mach-E, and that nose goes down the same way. It has the same pony tri-bars in the back. Um, it has that sloping long hood that goes over short over the front wheels. So we made it look like a Mustang. And then the team makes it drive like a Mustang. That GT package on the Mach-E is 480 horsepower. That's the same horsepower out of my internal combustion engine Mach-1. 
So when you begin to explain that to people, that it's not replacing, that it's growing the stable, then they look at it a little differently. And I'll tell you a quick story. And I know a lot of my Mustang fans will do not like me when I say this type of stuff. But when we were at the when we we're at the MCA 45th anniversary, right? It was the 45th anniversary of Mustang Club of America. It was down at Road Atlanta in Georgia over Easter weekend. And we were setting up the display outdoors. And when the speaker people were coming in and the staging people were coming in, there was a group of four younger, um, more technology advanced. They were the ones setting up the electronics for the speaker systems. They came over and they spent almost 40 minutes in that Mach-E. And I kept going, and I kept going, hey, look, here's my Mach-1. <laughs> you know, here's my fighter jet gray Mach-1 handling package with the orange six-piston Brembo calipers. And, and they liked it as a Mustang, as it was an electric vehicle. And so if we can continue to grow it, um, it'll be a good thing. And every single one of those, you know, Mach-E electric units that are sold allows us to sell another Mustang, right? And so as we grow that, once you explain it's not replacing the Mustang community, maybe not fully 100% embracing it, understands the concept. And, you know, this Mustang club has been a community that embraces people, and it's a chance to embrace an, another whole set of new owners in that Mustang experience. I love how you stated that because I, I remember when the Mach-E first came out and there was a lot of people that were just like, I don't know, you know, but you have changed minds or at least let them embrace it, like you said. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then, of course, you can go to the 1400 horsepower version that Vaughn drove, right? I mean, go up on the video, look up, search out excuse me, search out Maki and 1400 horsepower. <clears throat> you can see that that thing does an awful lot of fun things that makes Mustang's name. I mean, you see, we had Joey Logano there and Bobby Tasca from the drag racing. We had Haley Deegan out there as well. And, you know, you had all of those different Mustangs that are out there. And the 1400 one could play a lot better in some cases, you know, than the NHRA drag car and Bobby Tasker or the Joey Logano NASCAR. It was really a lot of fun. So there's a lot of things you can do with it that are Mustang. I love hearing the stories about the Mustang because uh, like you mentioned at the very beginning, this is a, an iconic car. You see it in, in uh, movies, you see it on TV, celebrities own it. It's just, you want that nameplate. And, and and, and you want the nameplate. I mean, the car looks beautiful standing still and the designers who've done it over, you know, we're in our sixth generation of Mustang, um, but it, it's more what the people do with their vehicle that makes Mustang special. You know, you mentioned the clubs earlier, you know, when we launched uh, the 2015, right? The 50 years version, we had clubs on six of the seven continents we didn't start globally exporting the vehicle until the 2015 model year, right? So it, it, it's, the, there's a magazine that, a Mustang Club magazine actually in Europe. And um, they have a section in that magazine of weddings in Mustangs, Oh, right? So you see the brides dressed up. This is in Europe. We, I mean, we sold the car now directly since 2015 there, but before it was gray market imports, customers taking it in. It's what those people do with that car and what the car allows them to do 
that makes it grow beyond four wheels and an engine? You know, I, I feel like I have to give full disclosure that I love Mustangs and I've got a triple white fox parked nice. in my garage nice. <laughs> convertible. Nice. And I love that car. I mean, it just, I don't know. I love to show it off. It's only got 39,000 miles on it. And I just take it out to rotate the tires and make, you know, put the fluids through it because I want to keep that forever. Yeah. My, uh, girlfriend's son, he's a junior in high school. Um, and we went out and searched, uh, his mom and I went out and searched for a car for him. And he's very mechanical, wants to be an engineer. He really wanted a Mustang. We found an 06 for him. Um, it's got 435 horsepower. It's got the Ford racing camera in it. It's high mileage and was somebody's track car. So we were able to pick it up relatively inexpensively. Um, the amount of care and time and energy and effort he puts into that car, um, kind of that reinforcement of, you know, it's his time when he's around that Mustang. Now, you know, it's, I, we put my KR exhaust on it. So it's like 106 decibels at idle. The neighbors absolutely just, you know, they know what I do, but they, they're like, now you're spreading it. And it's not just your cars that come home that are loud. Um, but that it, it's the it's that thing that you're talking about that you know you, you want to drive it you want to bring it out it's it becomes a part of you not not like other vehicles now if you had to and this is going to be tough i mean it really is but if you had to choose the most iconic of all mustangs since the very beginning which ones would you choose so iconic is um, iconic is tough i have my favorite my personal favorite. Um, the, the most iconic one, obviously, would be the first one that came off, right? And whether you talk about it as Gail, the teacher in Chicago who bought the first retail purchase, or if you're talking about the first unit built that was bought by a pilot in Canada off of a show floor, like when for those are the two ones, right? First retail, then one. Um, you know, that would be like the most iconic. Uh, very quickly thereafter, the 65 Shelby GT350, Carol and his merry band of hot rodders and that Wimbledon white and guardsman blue, taking that car and literally with the second car built, Ken Miles winning in your great state of Texas there, um, out of Green Valley Raceway, um, winning 13 of 15 races and taking on SCCA production B and beating the Corvettes and Porsches, that would be one of the hugely iconic. Um, the original Bullet, original Boss 302, probably pretty big ones. Um, man, there's so many of them that you can, that you go through, you know, again, the old SVOs, like most people didn't like them, but it was the four cylinder turbocharged engine that was lightweight back at the time, 197 horsepower, right? Big, huge at the time. But again, different things in there. Even some of the iconic Mustang II versions. Think of the white with blue stripe that was the Charlie's Angels car, right? I mean, a lot of kids remember that car. Now, you know, the Mustang II era was a little bit different, obviously. But again, an iconic vehicle in its own right. And then, of course, my favorite, 71 Mach 1, blue, silver stripes. Uh, it just, for me, is the, for, that's just my favorite. You have that in your garage, right? No, I don't. 
I don't. It, there's a long story. I almost brought one home from Barrett Jackson by mistake, um, <laughs> which would have been. I found myself working the floor, and all of a sudden, I was bidding on it. And I'm like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> You know, I used to bring home the little matchbox size cars from those events to my daughters. Never brought home a full size one. Not sure how that would have gone over. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's a ton of the iconic ones out there and it's hard to pick your favorite. We did a poster for the 50 years of one of each generation. Um, the one I own is the is an 07 GT500 KR. When I was working for Carol, um, he ended up giving that to me. Um, and it was, it, you know, the KR was 0809. Um, this was one of the test cars that we used to develop it. Um, and I've got more than 49,000 miles on that thing. <laughs> like we drive it. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's my personal Mustang that I keep currently. Um, and then Evan, my girlfriend's son, let me take out his occasionally too. <laughs> well, tell us how Gail got VIN 1. How did she do that? So that wasn't VIN 1. She was the oh, okay. first retail purchaser. Okay. So she, and, and she still owns the car. I know that they were thinking of selling it at some point in time, but she's owned it since the beginning, since wow. she bought it. So she went into her dealership. She was a teacher. And when we unveiled it on the 17th, we told the dealers, because we had each of them, each of the dealers have one. And what we did was we said, keep it in back. Don't do it until the unveiling. Well, she came in two days early with her teacher's salary, wanted to buy a convertible. And he's the, the salesperson's like, well, look, I can show you what's coming out if you really want to. And they took her back to the back of the dealership, uncovered it, looked at it. She fell in love with it and bought it on the spot. Wow. Yeah. And we celebrated with her. We brought her out for the 50 years celebration, her and the car and her husband. They're, they're great people. Um, and yeah, that's how she got it. So she got it before it was revealed and before it was able to be sold and she drove it out of the showroom that Friday. That is amazing how she got it. What a great story. Yeah. She got that the, the lore on VIN 1 is we took like our auto show type stuff, right? Where we take displays. Um, the VIN 1 car was actually um, uh, on display, right? It was a pre-production unit. And so it was on display there and this pilot up in Toronto or outside of Toronto, somewhere between Toronto and Montreal, I can't remember exactly, um, went up to the people who were running the show and the and they sold it to him. Whoa! From the auto show. And lo and behold, later we learned that was VIN 1. Oh, no. I'm, I'm guessing they weren't supposed to do that. No, no. <laughs> Back then, like, you know, I can't tell you how many times when I'm out, like, at Shelby events and they're like, oh, you know, give me, I'll, I'll write you a check today for that car. And, you know, like, you can't do that. They did it. And that's how VIN 1 was sold. Oh, my goodness. So, like, Gail, does the pilot still have it? I, you know, I don't know. I'd have to check. I know there's been a lot of history surrounding it. We might actually own it now in the Henry Ford. I'd have to dig in and find out on that. <laughs> Ted Ryan, who runs our archives, um, he's our corporate archivist, and we have a wonderful archives. So, like, when we were doing the 50 years, there was more than 16 terabytes of data and items that I could go through for Mustang. Wow. And, you know, the, you know, there's Jamie who works with him over there in the corporate archives. They do a wonderful job documenting that history and, you know, bringing that to life. So I'll have to dig into it and, and let you know. 
So I understand that um, there's some special documents that have been released um, for the anniversary. Yeah, there are. I mean, there's always some cool stuff and we want people to search out there and find it. So if you can go out to some of the various sites, I think, or if you want to let your listeners know, um, but we're trying to, we're trying to have people go out there and look at those documents and find them on their own. Oh, it's like a treasure hunt. <laughs> kind of like, yeah. Like um, we, we call them Easter eggs, right? Uh, I mean, not in the, just like something that's hidden. Right. So like on the old SVT, when we were building GT 500s, you know, we put little SVT logos in various places hidden underneath the car to see if they could find them. Oh, and, no. Yeah, yeah. And then the quizzes would be, well, how many SVT logos are on there? And then, you know, people come up and then say, oh, you forgot the one underneath the control arm. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's kind of a fun way to do it. That's insane. I had no idea you guys do that. Yeah, it's 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 some of the fun stuff that you can do. Um with a car that's as special as Mustang. It really is. So do you guys have any special merch that's coming out for the anniversary? Um, I honestly don't know that. Maybe we do. And you can always look on the uh, Amazon site on for Ford on the Mustang store. All of our new stuff is up there. Um, you know, we do, we do a bunch of the logo items a lot. Like, I don't know if we've been, I think we've announced it. The car that's running this weekend um, in NASCAR, the Chase Briscoe car, the 14, actually is running as the national mustang week car and it has the logo on it um and we have two mustang owners actually going there to sit with his pit box um and be part of it um they're shelby and mustang owners and they're driving up i, I know the guy who's going he was he was drawn to be able to go um and it, it, that's really cool so you can look at the some of those things that we have out there but that logo you know each year um each year is special, but this one is really special to us, given how we're growing our stable. That's just crazy. I I wish I could have been there in the pit. <laughs> yeah, sitting there. up on the yeah, sitting up on the pit box and and watching that eight hundred plus horsepower Mustang go around at Richmond is going to be a lot of fun. Oh my gosh, you're not going to sell that one, are you? Uh, no, no, Chase. <laughs> they'll probably reskin it. <laughs> yeah, they'll probably reskin it and run it because Chase Chase runs. Um, uh, in the 14 car, but there's a couple of different sponsors on it, including the Ford Performance Racing School. Um, they're a primary sponsor on it. And uh, Chase spends a lot of time with the folks at the racing school. But like when you buy a Mach 1 or you buy a Shelby GT500 or a GT350 included in that purchase price is a day at the Ford Performance Racing School with professional instructors driving the school's cars. And then you can learn how to safely leverage the product attributes that that car is those cars are famous for oh my gosh that would have to be so much fun it is a lot of fun and you know it, it's a way to do it safely right how do you use 760 horsepower and a sub 11 second quarter mile car on the streets of houston oh. you don't right i mean well, you don't take it on the streets. You take it on the tollway. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's something you said I didn't use the legal follow all road laws appropriately. Right. But when you go to the track, like, you know, up, up north of Houston, there, uh, actually just outside of College Station used to be Texas World Speedway. You know, find a place like that. Um, and this is a place, the Charlotte, we do it at Charlotte Motor Speedway. It's a place where the instructors literally have you drive the vehicle on racetracks, on drag strips, 
on skid pads so you can understand the technology that's been engineered into the vehicle and learn how to do it safely. Oh my God. And also be the envy of your neighborhood. <laughs> it's a fun, we put, um, Ford put pre-COVID, the, the last year before COVID, more than 6,000 people through the school. Oh. Now you do it Edge ST, Explorer ST, Raptor, the old RS, the Fiesta ST, Focus ST, GT350, now Mach 1, GT500, all of those vehicles come with the with the purchase price included in the in the purchase of the vehicle is a day at the school. What a great memory of buying yeah. your car. Yeah, it is we love it and it's one of the things I'm proud of. Now, now, Jim, it's just you and I talking. There's I know. No one else listening. So okay, no one else is listening. This is yeah. recorded, right? No, no. no. So, the old cone of silence. Remember <laughs> the old, you know, get smart in the cone of silence. So feel free to tell us what's next for the Mustang. Um, we are always looking to the future with wide open eyes, open hearts, and a third and second pedal down there in our feet. And you know, late breaking news: we hope Mustang continues for a long time. Now, are you guys going to have a party? You got to have a party, right? Yeah, we're doing, um, and, and, you know, in COVID, you want to be safe, right? So uh, the outdoor activities we're celebrating at the old train station in downtown Detroit, uh, the Mustang Club, Mustang Owners Club of Southeastern Michigan, it's called Moxham. Um, we have about 200 cars signed up to go in a parade. Uh, um, so we're going to start down at the old train station. We're going to drive out to the Haggerty Museum. Uh, the Haggerty Insurance, who insures collector cars, they have a beautiful museum of cars in Ann Arbor. And then we're going to end at the parking lot at Ford Garage in Dearborn. Um, but, you know, there's no better way to social distance than inside your car with only your family members, but still enjoying the Mustang. Oh, that is going to be something to watch. Are you guys going to have that on your social media? Yeah, it'll be on the social media. Um, I have my Mustang social media people there <laughs> taking images. Um, probably not drone coverage or helicopter coverage, but yeah, we're going to have good photography and good video from it. Oh, you're going to see some awesome cars in that. Absolutely. Yeah, quite a few. And I know a lot of the cars that are coming. It'll, it'll be a great representation of the all of the generations of Mustang. Now, when did you say that was again? Tomorrow. Tomorrow morning. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So On the birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to start watching your social social media now. <laughs> yeah, it'll start. I, I think they did a couple of teasers for it, but yeah, the coverage will start. We'll probably have it out there Monday. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's going to be so much fun. Well, Jim, I mean, I could talk to you all day because I love the stories behind Mustang. I mean, it's just, you learn so much and it's just so neat to see the love for this vehicle. And it the the men and women who work on this car, you know, the, my favorite story, one of my favorite ones is the Flat Rock Assembly Plant um, where we've made Mustangs since Gen 5, right? So Gen 5 and Gen 6, it's been there. Um, we did a billboard for them. I want to say 2010. Um, picture of a convertible, some of the plant workers in there, and the, the up on the right off of 75, so you could see it, that says, we love taking our work home with us. <sighs> And it kind of summarizes it. The, the people who are involved in Mustang, you know, they're all pretty passionate men and women about what they do because they know that it's more than just the sum of the parts of the car. Well, and they're the cool kids on their block. <laughs> <laughs> when you get to bring one home. Yep. It's, it's, it's a fun thing. Well, Jim, is there anything else you'd like to add? 
No, I'm good, Laura. Just go out there and enjoy your Mustang this summer. <laughs> I definitely will. I'll get her all polished up and ready to go. <laughs> that sounds fun, Laura. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so much fun. Thanks. You can tell I enjoy doing it too, Laura. <laughs> yeah, you've got a great job. <laughs> Thank you again to Jim Owens for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to Driving in Heels to hear more manufacturer interviews every week. When we return, AAA tells us about their latest study. Study participants self-reported their own risky driving behaviors after using substances such as alcohol and cannabis. AAA's Jake Nelson will tell us why those reported numbers are lower than the actual number of impaired drivers on the road. I'll talk to AAA next on Driving in Heels. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Driving in Heels with Laura Reynolds. Each week, Laura talks with auto manufacturers to keep you in the know about the latest and greatest in the cars, trucks, and SUVs you love to drive. Here's more Driving in Heels with Laura Reynolds. I'm Laura Reynolds, and you're listening to Driving in Heels. More and more states are legalizing cannabis. So how does that factor into risky driving behaviors? AAA Director of Traffic Safety Advocacy and Research, Jake Nelson, tells us about the new study. You guys have just released a new study, and it's talking about dangerous driving behaviors. And I mean, I, I think it's kind of um, a no-brainer that alcohol is one of them. Yeah. So, um, you know, full disclosure, AAA every year for almost a decade now has been doing a national survey of motorists asking about a whole range of highway safety issues. Um, and impaired driving is one of many. And 
uh, as more states have made the, the decision to legalize adult use marijuana, um, you know, we're concerned in the United States about the dangers of drugged driving, especially drugs other than alcohol. And uh, this is a study, uh, it's self-report, right? So we're asking motorists to be honest in reporting uh, their use of substances that are known to impair and also risky driving behaviors that they engage in when they're behind the wheel. And so, um, you know, our data are, are, if anything, a conservative estimate because, I mean, I think it's reasonable to assume that most most people will respond to these kinds of surveys honestly, but some people want to give the right answer and are perhaps not comfortable being honest about uh, engaging in risky behavior, uh, risky behavior. So yeah, our study basically looked at um, the relationship, the correlation between people who use substances, specifically alcohol and cannabis, and uh, the relationship between use of those drugs and participating in other risky driving behaviors. So we're talking about things like speeding, aggressive driving, red light running, impaired driving, texting while driving, uh, all of those. And I think you said it best, Laura, you said, uh, no surprise, right? Uh, that alcohol is one of them, but I'd go one step uh, further just to say that I don't think it's a surprise that uh, people who are risk takers by engaging with use of substances that can impair your judgment um, are more likely to engage in other risky behaviors, including those that happen behind the wheel. So uh, yeah, it's just you know one more way to identify risk factors for dangerous driving behaviors. And so this study didn't necessarily look only at impaired driving, um, but it helped us to look at um, ways to identify the group of people in the United States who are more likely to engage in risky driving behaviors. So I'm, I'm assuming that you didn't get the participants' names um, when they decided to take the survey. So what were you able to find out, you know, ages, um, you know, how many times they've done something like this? I mean, what kind of personal information were you able to find out to kind of figure out who's doing this? Uh, you're right. We didn't ask um, for people's names and certainly we don't uh, report data using identifiable information, but we do collect information about the demographics of people, uh, race and ethnicity, ages, gender, all of those kinds of things. Um, our interest in our research, whether this study or any other using uh, these survey data uh, is really just to look for uh, correlations between, um, you know, different decisions that people might make while they're behind the wheel uh, as it relates to highway safety. Um, you know, we uh, know that younger men in general are bigger risk takers. And I say that as a man myself. So we know that even for teen drivers that, uh, when we're looking at, you know, the, the dangerous things that young drivers who are novice drivers uh, do when they're behind the wheel, uh, and it's true of all young drivers, but it's especially true for young male drivers. They're just bigger risk takers. And uh, unfortunately, most men don't grow out of that. <laughs> so even later in life, 
uh, men tend to be the bigger risk takers and are more likely to engage in risky driving behaviors and are more likely to uh, admit to using alcohol and drugs like cannabis. Now, was it something where the person taking the survey just had to admit that they, you know, use alcohol or cannabis, or was it something like where you would ask them, were you drunk when you were driving? You know, I'm, I'm curious as to what level, you know, these people were admitting to. Yeah, so that's a good question. So we asked in the survey about use of alcohol in the last 30 days and then separately for use of cannabis in the last 30 days. And we ask about other substances too, like prescriptive drugs, over-the-counter drugs. Uh, and we also ask for the same individuals to report you know, how dangerous they think using these uh, substances are and then getting behind the wheel. Uh, and those data are reported also um, by by AAA. But in this particular study, we looked for, you know, correlations between, you know, somebody who admitted to using alcohol and cannabis at some point within the last 30 days, not necessarily together, but that, that could actually have happened for some individuals who responded to the survey. And then separately, uh, whether or not they engage in these, these risky driving behaviors. And to be clear, we're not necessarily asking for co-use of these substances and then driving while impaired by them and then engaging in these behaviors. It's just general use, could have been on a Monday and then a Thursday, and then on a Wednesday and a Friday, the risky driving behaviors happen, right? Unrelated to the use. It's just that, you know, somebody who uses these substances is also somebody, generally speaking, who is more likely to speed, to text and drive, to drive while impaired, those kinds of things. And so it's a, it's a risk factor, right? In public health, we look for risk factors, like what I've described, and we also look for protective factors. And so one example related to our conversation that would be a protective factor is being female, because females are less likely to report doing these kinds of things. And so uh, being female is a, is a protective factor for engaging in risky driving behaviors and reporting use of these two drugs. It uh, doesn't mean that if you're female, you're immune to it, but we, we know at a, at a population level that females are less likely to do these things. So that would be an example of a protective factor. And knowing risk and protective factors is really important to designing campaigns to help address these issues. It's important to developing laws and public policies to address these issues and other kinds of programmatic interventions to solve for highway safety problems. Not necessarily this one, but any of them. You know, I'm thinking that if you, you said one of the questions you ask is um, to have you driven while impaired. I bet a lot of people think, well, no, I wasn't impaired. I was driving. So I thought I was good enough. Yeah, well, that I mean that you you just highlighted one of the 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 challenges in survey research. So you have to be really careful with how you ask questions in survey research, and ours is no different. And so you can't ask somebody uh, about impaired driving the way that we would talk about it right now. You have to ask them, did you drive within one hour of using cannabis? in the last 30 days. So that's an example. So we're very careful in how we define things and how we ask things, because we need to make sure that people who respond to surveys are all responding with the same understanding of exactly what we're asking, right? And you gave a really good example, and that's especially true for drugs like cannabis, more so than drugs like alcohol, right? Because if you're buzzed 
you know that you probably shouldn't be driving. Most people would agree to that. But with cannabis, there's a there's a proportion of the population that actually believes they're better, safer drivers when they've used cannabis and then gotten behind the wheel because, in their opinion, they drive more slowly. They're more aware, um, according to them, right? Uh, we know uh, through research and science that that's not the case, that that might be how they feel on their end, but science has told us that, you know, using cannabis can delay reaction time. It can cloud judgment. Uh, it can create con confusion, all of those kinds of things. And these are really important uh, capabilities to have, even if the crash isn't your fault, you need to be able to, you know, evade crashes. So even if somebody else is uh, clowning around on the road, if you don't have the same reaction time that you would if you were sober, then you probably will be involved in that crash um, as compared to the sober person. So yeah, really, really interesting question there. It's a good one. Man, that's interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. I mean, so what were there any others, you know, surprises that you found um, from the information you collected? Uh, yeah, I mean, we could talk for hours, Laura, about all all the interesting findings from this survey. Um, you know, the the study that we just put out, obviously, we've talked through that, um, looking for the looking at the relationship between these, you know, drug use and other risky driving behaviors, but the same survey. Um, highlights all kinds of other issues about, um, you know, how people feel about certain kinds of laws, you know, their support for certain state policies. Um, we have learned that, uh, generally speaking, based on the survey data we collected that, you know, people are most likely to report that driving after using alcohol is really dangerous and unacceptable. Um, fewer people will report that for cannabis, but even fewer will say the same thing for prescription and over-the-counter drugs, which is interesting, but at the same time, understandable, I think, for the average person, because in most cases, a doctor has told you, you need to take this drug to treat this medical issue, uh, or you're not feeling well, so you go to CVS and Walgreens and you pick up an over-the-counter uh, medication to help make you feel better so that you can be more productive and do the things that you need to do every day. And you're not necessarily doing that. You're not using a medication prescribed or over the counter to be impaired or to get a high. You're doing it to feel better, right? You're trying to take care of yourself or a doctor told you you should do it. They made that recommendation to you. And so you're not thinking about impaired driving, but the reality is, is some prescription and over-the-counter drugs can impair you just as much as alcohol can. And even more so if you combine it with even a tiny bit of alcohol. So if you're on like cold medication and you go out to dinner and have one glass of wine with your meal and then drive home, you could be wildly impaired, even though you weren't, you were thinking, I'm going to have one because I got to drive, but forgot that you're, you've also taken cold medication. So really interesting stuff that we uncover with the survey. Yeah, that is. I mean, because you wouldn't think of prescription medications. You know, I mean, some of them say don't drive may make you drowsy or something. You're like, nah, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, uh, or as we call it uh, inside the safety community, NHTSA, um, they a uh, year or two ago put out a consumer education campaign on this very topic. And I thought it was really uh, a fun and interesting way to communicate on the topic of prescription and over-the-counter drugs and impaired driving, because uh, I think that the, the shtick in their, their PSA was somebody walking into a pharmacy, speaking to a pharmacist about picking up their prescription. 
And the pharmacist says, now, of course, when you use this, do not operate heavy machinery. And then the person picking up the prescription starts to daydream and pictures themselves driving a forklift over somebody's fence. And then they come back to reality and the, the pharmacist says, like your car. And they're like, oh yeah, good point. Most people, most people don't think of a vehicle other than a forklift when you say operate heavy machinery. <laughs> so it's a good reminder. Yeah, that, that's excellent. That's a campaign that's running now. Yeah, that's through the, the federal government and run in a variety of states around the country. I, I think they hit the nail on the head. I agree. <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, I'm also curious, did you ask any questions about, um, and I'm going to try to phrase this maybe the way you all would have phrased it, <laughs> but you know, have you taken Uber in the past week or have you taken Lyft in the past week? you know, um, because maybe they had, you know, some drinks or whatever and decided they needed to do, you know, more safely, you know, get home. Sure. Yeah. So we don't ask about uh, use of ride sharing services in this particular survey, but we have asked about that in other surveys that we've done at AAA. So uh, we're getting away from uh, traffic safety just a little bit, but I think still relevant uh, probably to your, your listeners out on the road today. Um, so we've asked about, you know, uh, in a national survey about uh, how often people have used a whole variety of transportation modes, including ride sharing services like Uber and Lyft, but a much longer list. And um, interestingly, only four in 10 people in the country have ever even used a, uh, an Uber or a Lyft or some other version of a ride sharing service. 60% uh, of people have never used a service like that or even a taxi. So uh, super interesting. And it's hard, I think, for people who live in you know, more urban areas to imagine life without those services available to them. But um, when you think of the country overall, most people have not used these services before. Um, and I think, I think you asked it in the context of you know, preventing impaired driving by, you know, transporting yourself around in ways other than you as an impaired individual behind the wheel. And that certainly is something that, you know, people who have access to those services can take advantage of. But uh, many people don't have Uber or Lyft in their, in, available to them where they live. And I think we have to remember that. Yeah, that blows me away. I mean, I don't know what I would do without Uber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a surprising statistic, but a sobering one. Man, so we have all this information now. What do we do with it? Who does it go to? How does it help us? Well, you know, I mean, I think it can be used in a variety of ways. I mean, like I said before, um, as a public health uh, professional, I think of data like these as, you know, important variables to consider when designing consumer education campaigns, when developing community programs, um, when developing public policy, and not just the risky driving behavior uh, data that we talked about at the top of our time together, but you know all of the data that we collect through um, the Traffic Safety Culture Index. We use it uh, in all 50 states plus DC when we're lobbying for laws that we know save lives. Um, we have to talk about public support for these laws. Uh, and this is a good source of those data. So yeah, I think in public policy and you know community programming and how we communicate and educate you know AAA members and uh, consumers generally, you know the general population, 
Uh, this is really helpful data to us and we use it every single day in our work in highway safety advocacy. You know, Jake, if you and I keep talking, I'm going to end up being a hermit. Just <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wouldn't encourage that, but, uh, you know, you got to harness these data uh, to protect yourself, to make good, good decisions and, and to encourage those around you to do the same. And that's kind of how I look at it. My friends are, are nervous to drive with me as a passenger because, you know, I'm AAA's highway safety director. And I always try to take that hat off when uh, I'm a passenger, unless the driver is doing something dangerous. But uh, generally, I try to calm my friends down. Oh, you're a party killer. <laughs> I try not to be. <laughs> that is so funny that they actually change their behavior around you. <laughs> now we know why you're not invited to many parties, Jake. There you go. That, that and a global pandemic. And I'm not mad about that part. <laughs> well, well, if we ever get rid of the pandemic, your excuse is going away. <laughs> I, I agree. I have to work on that. Well, Jake, is there anything that I haven't touched upon that you're like, oh, man, Laura, this is the most important part. No, I think I think we know each other well enough to know that I would definitely speak up. Uh, I thought we've had a great conversation. We've covered a lot of ground, and I appreciate the opportunity uh, to chat with you and to share some, you know, highway safety information that can help your listeners make better choices to protect them and their families. So thank you for that. And can we see the report online? Yeah, it's available um, on AAA's newsrooms. You can Google AAA newsroom, and it will be the first thing that pops up. Um, you can also go to the AAA Foundation, just Google that and go to the research section and it will be one of the first reports uh, at the top of the screen. Available to anyone free, don't have to be a AAA member uh, to, to read the report. Terrific. Well, Jake, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's always an eye-opener talking to you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you again to Jake Nelson for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to Driving in Heels to hear more manufacturer interviews. Every week, I talk directly to the manufacturers to get you the latest information about vehicles you're interested in. No opinions, just straight facts from the automakers themselves. I'm your host, Laura Reynolds, and that wraps up this week's Driving in Heels. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Driving in Heels. There'll be more next week when Laura Reynolds talks directly to the manufacturers about the cars you love and the cars you want to know more about on Driving in Heels. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.